0: You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. 288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we're not going to leave you out. Your number is one 271 2985 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you're outside the United States and Canada. That number again is 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. Or you can text your question, text the letters EWTN to 55000, wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and database, data rates rather may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, the one and only Father Brian Mullady. How are you? Just fine, thank you. How are you? Terrific, thanks. Did you get your throat blessed today on this Feast of St. Clair's? I
2: did, I did, yes.
1: And I bet you probably blessed a throat or two. No. No. We leave that to
2: the parish priests. Ah, yes. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> Very good. Yes. Well, uh, today is the feast of uh, the martyr, St. Blaise, but yesterday mm-hmm. was the feast of the presentation of the Lord, which the hardcore people will tell you is really the end of Christmas, right? Right. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, the presentation in the temple, I think, is an absolutely marvelous feast on many, many levels. And you're right, it is the end of the Friscal end of the Christmas season. It's also known as Candlemas because the candles are all blessed at that particular Mass for the future coming year. And then in when if you have a more highfalutin liturgy, uh, there's a procession with the candles uh, because what we're doing is going out to meet the Lord who finally comes to the temple in order to begin at least in scripture, to put an end to the old law and introduce the new dispensation. It's why in the Eastern Church this feast is called the Feast of Meeting, because the Lord of the Temple comes to meet the Temple. His parents bring him to perform the rituals to become a member of Israel, physically, but the characters that are in the Temple, especially represented by Simon and Anna, are described as just and pious in waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so they, in a sense, represent the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of various people, both pagans and Jews, who were awaiting redemption. And interestingly enough, moved by the Holy Spirit, in other words, through a revelation, remember Simeon has received the truth that he will not see death until he's seen the Messiah. And then this little baby, this helpless baby, not from a great family, not from a great town, not a member of the royal family, just the ordinary little child, he realizes is the word made flesh. And then he speaks this beautiful canticle, which in the liturgy, the divine office uses for the hour of compline or night prayer and has often been attributed to a preparation for death because not only is it a recognition that the Messiah has come, but since Simeon has received this truth that he won't see death until he's seen the Messiah, this is a preparation for death in case you die during the night. Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace because your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen your salvation. And then there are two phrases that are used that are essential to this feast. In fact, in the famous procession of the candles, we used to sing it, Lumen a gentium, a gloria plebis to Israel, light of revelation for the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Now if you think about it, this phrase represents in miniature the organs by which we know the objective truth. A truth which, once we understand it here on earth, leads us always to have a dynamism toward the truth which is God. Because God is the source of all truth and the source of all being. And both reason and faith lead us to this. And therefore, the child is a fulfillment of both what the philosophers have been looking for and what the Jews have been looking for. So you have the light, false, which is the means, for example, in a philosopher like Aristotle, the Jews to know the truth of nature through reason And then you have the glory, which is the holy cloud, the Shekinah, you know, which covered the mountain when the law was given to Moses and filled the temple when the sacrifices were performed. And the glory that shone around the angels when they proclaimed to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest of your people Israel. So you have these two expressions of light. One is the light of reason. One is the light of faith. And both of these lights fuse in all those people who, like Simeon and Anna, have been looking for the consolation of Israel. So once we experience the Lord, who's come to the temple, to meet the temple, in order to put an end to the sacrifices of bulls and goats in the temple, and to connect it to his own sacrifice on the cross, then we too can pray the prayer which Simeon prayed, both because we're so grateful that we've seen our salvation, but also a prayer that lets us realize that the only final fulfillment of our life is after it's over, when we see God, whom the light and the glory lead us to. So now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace, because your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation, which you have prepared for all the nations a light, a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line, and I want to take a brief moment. Just was uh, given word... That uh, a colleague and associate of ours in the Diocese of Fargo, North Dakota, Mr. Steve Splonskowski, uh, who does, uh, he's the longtime executive director of Real Presence Radio in uh, North and South Dakota, Minnesota, uh, Montana. And uh, his wife, uh, lovely wife Jacinta, uh, has just learned, uh, just here in, in these moments, that her mother has suffered a stroke. And so Steve and Jacinta and the family are heading to uh, her location now. Uh, So if you would all please be so kind as to keep Jacinta and Steve and Jacinta's mother in your prayers. And Father, I wonder if you might offer just a small prayer for Jacinta's mother before we uh, go to break here.
2: Yes, I'd be happy to. Dearest Lord, we ask you to help the mother of these people so that she may experience the support of our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the light of the world, as the light in her soul of her life.
1: Again, our numbers are 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you today on this open line Thursday. Uh, that number is one two zero five. 271 And as I said, we will even put you straight to the front of the line. If you will, uh, if you're outside of North America, the number again is 1205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's open line at ewtn.com. And you can put Thursday or Father Brian in the subject line and we'll get it to the appropriate location. And uh, you can always text your question, text the letters ewTN to 55000, Wait for a response. text your first name and your question message, and data rates may apply. Two lines open for you at 833 288 EWTN. That's 833 288 3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, Call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN's Religious Catalog has a holy
1: reminder for just about every occasion and today is no exception. We've got a sterling silver St. Blaise pendant with a chain. Uh, remember the martyr, St. Blaise, on this is feast day today. And every day with this lovely oval metal featuring an image with the words, St. Blaise, pray for us, comes in an 18-inch sterling silver light curb chain, which has a lobster claw clasp. That's St. Blaise, the patron saint of throat ailments and a pendant of his Uh, with a beautiful sterling silver chain available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com, offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That is standard shipping in the continental United States. Uh, Use the code FREE at checkout. So now if we can pull Father Brian away from his online shopping, we'll continue with EWTN's open line <laughs> Thursday. Two lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Brian. He is in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown, listening on Covenant Radio. Brian, you are on with Father Brian Milady.
3: Hi, I was interested. You were mentioning uh, a couple of Conrad Conrad Bars. Um, I was reading up a little bit about him, and it was interesting that he's a uh, Catholic psychologist, and he talks about people, like, looking at their emotions instead of just reacting to them or trying to stuff them down and things like that. Then he also talks about affirmation a lot, these two things primarily. What I was wondering is, how does he bring in, like, the moral values of the Church and Thomas Aquinas into... Is therapy for people who have uh, problems like anxiety and things like
2: that. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I'm in the process of finishing a book on this for EWTN. Uh, Doctor Bars uh, is a wonderful. Was I never met him personally? I wish I had, but his writings are wonderful. And basically, he was practicing psychiatry. He's not just a psychologist. He was also a medical doctor, a psychiatrist. And he discovered that no one got healed by Freudianism. So then there was a a colleague of his, Dr. Terua. She in Holland had written a thesis on the neurosis in in the light of St. Thomas's psychology. So basically what their opinion is, if I could put it in a nutshell for a radio show in a minute or two, most of Freudian psychology looks upon the cause of emotional illness as a conflict between the moral law, which is kind of separate from me as a person, and my emotions. And so the best way to become kind of healed is to get away from the moral law, which is like an imposition outside from outside of you that has nothing to do with you and your, your uh, natural powers. Instead of following Thomas Aquinas, they basically demonstrated that emotional illness was a conflict within the passions themselves, the emotions themselves, where one, irrationally, you know, words, was not as it should be, came to the fore uh, when it shouldn't be there and suffocated the other and did not allow the other into the realm of reason so that it could be virtuously governed by the higher self. Because remember, they believed, along with Catholicism, that the moral law wasn't, uh, let's say the natural law, wasn't an imposition from outside of us, which is alien to us as people, but expressed what the powers we have are and what their proper relationship is. So, in other words, we're not to be saved from the moral law, like Freud thought, but we're to be saved by the moral law when we experience it as it should be experienced. Now, when it comes to things, affirmation, they discovered that in the contemporary world, many people didn't suffer from an emotional conflict, which is the traditional origin for neurosis in the 19th century. But many people suffered from an emotional underdevelopment. Dr. Barr said he was trying to counsel a woman, and she said, Doctor, I don't, all I want you to do is to love me, that's all. Uh, not as a, obviously not in a sexual sense, but to, to take me to your heart and a, a, um, uh, approve me. Well, what they discovered was that, be, especially because of contraception, they were very much against contraception. And Dr. Terua was actually on the Minority Commission in 1968 who pleaded with Paul VI not to change The church is teaching on birth control because they believed that contraception made the child an object of use instead of a subject of love. And in, uh, in other words, it wasn't just morally evil, but it caused emotional illness. So that you have these many, 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 many people in the Western world who come from affluent backgrounds, who have great educations and things like that but don't feel their love for themselves alone because they never had authentic love from their family, a kind of self-restraining love. And the therapy then has to be to try to take the place of God and um, as, a, as a parent would and to uh, you know love these people as good, to show them that they're good. It's good that they exist. Now, they repudiated the house of affirmation that came about as a result of their work. Because many people think that affirmation is just being nice or doing things for people. And they were very much against that idea. What they said was that affirmation is an attitude toward existence. And it's not just being nice. One of the examples Dr. Barge uses is that when Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan you're trying to make me trip and fall, he was affirming him because he was trying to get him to realize what his value was as a person. And he knew that Peter could take harsh words. Remember, he said this to Peter in public. Get behind me, Satan. He called him Satan. How would you like to be called Satan? You know, in our uh, strange world today, if I did that to a parishioner, I'd be thrown out of the diocese. (laughs) But that's what what wasn't our Lord's problem. So the wonderful work they did was to help us to rediscover that we aren't supposed to suppress our emotions, but our emotions naturally exist to be assumed into the higher self, which follows the famous Thomistic Aristotelian principle that the passions or emotions are created not to be stifled by reason but to be obedient to reason. And when they're obedient to the higher self, they blossom because they're universalized, and you can actually practice a self-restraining love then.
3: Is that helpful, Brian? Yeah, fantastic insight. Thank you so much.
1: Sure. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288. 288-3986. 288-3986. Next stop is Yakima, Washington. Zach is in the great state of Washington, a first time caller listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Zach, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Yeah, hi. Thanks
4: for taking my call. I, I had a question about justification, so I'll ask the question and I'll hang up to listen to your answer. So I was talking to my friend who is Protestant, and they were saying that justification is something that happens forensically now, that we're justified now. But I was under the assumption that Rome teaches that we're justified in the future, that, that, that we're growing in holiness, we're, we're infused with more and more grace, and, and we're justified in the future. So could you just explain the difference between that term justification and how I, how I ought to think about it, and I'll, I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Thanks so
2: much. All right, well, forensic justification, which is tend to be the Lutheran doctrine... Is the idea that justification changes nothing in you. It's merely overlooking of your sinfulness. So the justified person is like a man brought into a court, condemned to death for a capital offense, and the merciless judge, the Father, instead of consigning him to execution, turns and looks at the innocent Christ and lets him off, basically. But he still remains totally depraved. In other words, if we look at our own works, we do nothing good. Everything we do is evil. But God just chooses to overlook that. Now, you can't grow in that. uh, It can't get better or worse in you. And in a sense, now, no, most Protestants wouldn't say this, but occasionally they act that way, that um, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. So they'll say, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you justified? Well, a Catholic can't say yes exactly to that. Now, we are justified by grace through baptism. See, Protestants have great difficulty with what baptism really means. But we're justified because we received grace then. And we received grace so that we became a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have a tendency to evil which is traditionally known as concupiscence. But we really are considered a holy creature. Uh, we're conformed to Christ as priest, prophet, and king. So that we uh, are truly changed within, so that we can experience a union of life and divine intimacy with the Trinity. Now, the companion of justification, which is an effect of sanctifying grace, is Merit. That we do postpone till the end of life. None of us merits justification. We're often accused of saying that by our works, but that's not true. The work that merits justification is in our work, it's Christ's work, baptism. However, we're asked to conform ourselves to our baptism and the grace we received, so that we can truly grow in divine life. To the extent that we do that, we do participate in, in the reward which we receive at the end of our lives, which would be heaven. So we can, uh, there is a kind of great uh, inequality between God's participation in our work of merit and ours. But proportionately, we still participate in our experience of heaven personally, by stimulating the rest of our works in our lives by what God himself has brought in us in baptism. So uh, I I, I would, wouldn't say that we will postpone justification. That's not true. We experience the final fulfillment of justification in the merit of heaven when we die. But all along our lives, through the grace of baptism that we received, where. We're justified by that. Now, of course, we can lose grace by sin, but still we can't return to being not baptized. In other words, we still have the character in us.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. A couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls on EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We've had a bit of a Thomistic theme today, which is great for a Dominican priest. Um, And uh, we've got an email here from, or, or actually it's a question from Matt who's watching on YouTube, and he says that he figures you'll sympathize with the Thomist position, but is there any merit in Molinism? in that it preserves God's knowledge of all possible theoretical outcomes while allowing for free will.
2: Oh, you mean the, the famous Jesuit controversy over grace, the means of <laughs> grace. Uh, my only comment about that is uh, I, I agreed with the Pope at the time, who got sick of listening to them fight about it and forbidding them to discuss it anymore. Um, I think that's a lot of a tempest in a teapot. Obviously, we have to participate in some way in grace as far as uh, meriting heaven because it's from our freedom that we receive it. On the other hand, our works, our particular will, isn't going to give us grace because that's eternal and supernatural and infinite. So I have a suspicion. I can't say I've done a lot of research in that problem. But I've always had a suspicion that... uh, this was due to religious order rivalry more than it was to, to real difficulties. Now, I have to say that I think that the Jesuits do emphasize sometimes your will a little too much. But they certainly wouldn't say that you never should think about anything, uh, at least theoretically. Um, I know there's, I've heard of some Jesuits who basically would tell people just by willpower to overcome things. Well, we can't overcome things just by our willpower. God's grace has to be involved. On the other hand, so does our will. So it takes two to, to tango, and it takes two to be just to go to heaven. And that's why I said when I talked about merit that there are actually two that participate in every meritorious act. The Holy Spirit that's moving you and then you who are also moving your own powers. Now, my participation in the act is like very, very tiny, but it's still mine. That's why we all receive different rewards in heaven. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. The Holy Spirit's participation is like infinite compared to mine, but I still have my proportionate um, participation. So the traditional language that's used of this is the condign merit is by equality, strict equality, like quid pro quo. I build a house and I get a wages. We don't merit heaven like that. God, God's part in it, the Holy Spirit's, is, is merited like that. But then the other kind of merit is congruent merit, which is proportionate. So if we do our part, God does his part. Our part may be very small, but it's still ours. And he wills that we do our part because he doesn't want us, uh, C.S. Lewis used to say, he doesn't want slaves, he wants sons and daughters. So he wants us to come to him freely. And uh, then that's rewarded uh, in heaven accordingly because the more you love God on earth, remember that's the principle of merit, not how hard something is, the more you love God on earth, the more you shall understand him in heaven. Everybody receives the same infinite God. That's the meaning of the parable of the eleventh hour. You know, everybody gets the same wages. But depending on how much one has allowed God to influence them, some do receive more than others. And that's the famous parable of the talents. And and often in Scripture, you can't just pick one part of the mystery. If you emphasize that too much, you deny the other part. It's it, it's two, so that would be my answer. Uh, I can't say I have any deep knowledge of Mullivanism, except that I know that the Pope got sick of listening to it. <laughs> so yeah.
1: we head back now to the state of Washington. Jim is in Washington, also listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Jim, you're on with Father Brian Milady.
3: Father Milady, yeah, I have a I have a question. Um, uh, you being a Dominican priest i need your expert what you think is i've been struggling with i have a friend that's here here's my my situation i got a friend that's uh um uh, a lutheran minister and he invited me to one of his services i've been a catholic all my life since i was five or six or seven here mm-hmm. in uh um uh, in washington at uh, holy rosary but i gotta say he invited me and um uh, a guy, a person, a Lutheran sitting in back of me says, "Well, the Catholics are just like the Lutherans, and vice versa." And then when they went up to communion, I said, "Well, I can go to communion." And they said, "No, you can't. You have to have uh, 12 months or 13 months of Lutheran training, Bible study before you can go up and receive the, the wine and, of course, the 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 bread." And I and I and he he wanted me to set me up with. Uh, Bible courses, and I said, no. And then he, then he says, well, what kind of Bible you ask?" It's, it's a Catholic. So what's your I'm question? Jewish, my question is that uh, what's the difference, and I'll try to get to the point, what's the difference between the Lutherans and the Catholic?
2: Huge. You cannot go to communion in a Lutheran church because the Lutherans do not believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, and they do not believe that the Mass is a sacrifice. Now, of course, Luther, as you know, preserved lots of Catholic elements. In fact, if you look, I have a recording of a Lutheran Eucharist the way it would have been celebrated in 1600, and it's practically indistinguishable from the Catholic Mass, except for certain things. And one of them is that the Eucharist isn't reserved because they believe that the change only occurs in the use of it during the Eucharist. And that change isn't what we believe, transubstantiation. It's what they call consubstantiation. So in other words, it's both bread and Christ at the same time. Now I know in Catholicism today, in fact, I'm just joining, I think, a bishop's task force to re-educate people in the nature of the Eucharist in this country. We tend to believe, not so much. Some Lutherans believe more about it than some Catholics do. But consubstantiation was based on a very faulty philosophy that thought you could have two substances present in the same thing, which is simply impossible. And they believed it was bread and Jesus, uh, but it only, but really, it only meant Jesus to the faith of the believer. So, for one thing, they don't worship the Eucharist like we do. They wouldn't put it into and incense, for sure. Even though, again, I've attended high Lutheran Eucharists, where they have deacon and subdeacon investments and incense and the whole thing. And the music, of course, to the old one, Lutheran music, at least, used to be very beautiful because it was all Bach and beautiful organ music and beautiful singing. But then they just throw it out afterwards. And if they run out of Eucharistic bread, they just go back and bless more because they don't believe it's a sacrifice. So it's huge, the difference between the two. And you cannot go to a Lutheran Eucharist. That's that's communicatio and sacris. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, basically saying that you believe what they believe when you don't, uh, at least the Communion. When I was in the seminary, I occasionally used to attend the first part, not the last part, of the uh, Episcopalian Eucharist because I liked the music. <laughs> but I'd leave before the actual action began because uh, we're, we, what we're saying is if we stand there is that we, we believe it and we don't. So, And to give you another example to help you perhaps, when I was in a formation, it was very liberal in Berkeley. And on the Feast of St. Thomas, we invited the Protestant professors from the consortium up at Berkeley to come to Mass, which they did. And then one of our priests, in, very inappropriately, decided to be ecumenical and invite them to go to communion. Well, a bunch of them stood up and started to go, but Dr. Cooper, who was the president of the Lutheran Seminary, He was sitting there, and they said, come up. And he said, no, I don't believe in it, and I'm not going up there. And I thought, good, someone who has the courage of his convictions. (laughs) So you need to realize there's an essential difference between the way we think about it, even though it often looks the same in many ways.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still uh, time for your calls. A couple of open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Well, you are number one in the state of Washington today. Father Annie is in Pasco, Washington. She's watching us on YouTube today. Annie, thanks for holding. you on with Father Brian. Hello.
5: Hi, Father Brian. Hi. Okay, as succinctly as possible, here goes, uh, can you have true faith, with a backup plan,
2: true faith with a backup plan. Yes, is that uh, what does that mean?
5: Okay, so you mean if, if you're you wrong? True... <laughs> well, okay, so mm, my situation is I have a medical situation, uh, multiple surgeries already, and yes. finally realized that God has been my backup plan because we've gone through all these surgeons. So finally going over to Italy and asking Padre Pio to intercede for me. and But at the same time, I'm suddenly realizing, hey, there's great surgeons that will see me over here. So going to see those surgeons would be having a backup plan.
2: Oh. Uh, so wouldn't
5: that kind of negate the whole faith of going?
2: Not really. I mean, faith isn't throwing yourself uh, irrationally off a cliff and expecting God somehow to save you. I mean, faith demands that we do what we're able to do, which would be seeing the surgeons or whatever. But then uh, in case, if that doesn't help, God is, should be moving you to see the surgeons, but then also to accept the outcome if it's not possible that they can cure you. But he doesn't expect you to give up your brain when you become a believer or to just sit on your hands and he's going to somehow resolve the whole mess. Not at all. It's not a backup plan. It's a part of faith and providence. The fact that you live in a time when you would have such surgery is a part of divine providence.
1: Does that help, Annie?
5: Kind of, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate
1: your time. Uh, We appreciate your phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Lulu is watching us on YouTube, and she wants to know, why can I not go to RCIA over the Internet like over Zoom?
2: I have no idea, probably because your parish or your diocese doesn't let you. I'm sure there are people that allow people to go to RCIA over Zoom in some places.
1: It's not like a. It's not like going to reconciliation via Zoom. Not or at all. Like that. No, yeah.
2: no. It's just catechism class, basically. There should be. I mean, I know they do all these things, strange things with like candle gazing in some places and stuff. But what it's really supposed to be is uh, a catechism. Now, if you mean. The sun, the Sunday deal where you're you know, having the scrutinies and all that stuff, well, that thing you really should be present for. You can't really do that over the Internet. I don't know what you mean by RCIA, but if you mean the scrutinies, you really should be present for that.
1: Right. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 Be sure to check out EWTN News in depth tomorrow night. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Monse Alvarado and her guests will discuss what the leading voices in human rights are saying about calls for boycotting the Olympics. That's tomorrow on EWTN News In-Depth with Monse Alvarado. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio and Television. John is on Long Island in New York listening to EWTN on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian.
3: Hi, Father Brian. Um, My question is, I'd like to get some clarification as far as uh, in what capacity
2: we're about to baptize my son. I I Um, didn't get get the
1: whole thing. So they're about to baptize his son. Go ahead, John.
2: Uh, We wanted to ask someone who's actually Greek Orthodox to serve uh, as godfather, but I'm not sure uh, if they would be allowed to. Uh, I'm not sure about the Greek Orthodox. I, I have a feeling there wouldn't be any problem if they would be willing to do it. Uh, because, you know, the Greeks, they don't want anything to do with us. Uh, I only know that because one of the worst weddings I ever performed, much worse than J- Jewish or Muslim and Catholic, was Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic. And the people wanted to be, the woman was a Catholic, Roman Catholic from her parish. The man was a Greek Catholic. So they wanted to have the Mass or the wedding in our parish, but use the Greek ceremonial. So I said, Okay, I can get you a dispensation for that, so and I can get the Greek priest dispensation to come and do it. And I can just witness it. So I called the chancellor and they said, Sure, there's no problem with that. So the next week they walked in and I said, Okay, it's all set and the Greek guy the guy who's the Greek Orthodox is like heck it is. My priest says no priest is setting Greek priest is setting foot in the Roman Church for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> I thought, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as far as we're concerned, there doesn't seem to be a huge problem with that, especially for being godfather. But um, I don't know how they would feel about that. So, just so you're aware that there's this thing. That goes back to 1054 or something, or the Sack of Constantinople. Um, I, I've never been quite sure what the problem really is, but it's, it's, a, it's a deep one. And it's more cultural than anything else. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, he's Christian. We recognize them as a valid church. Um, I think that I'm pretty sure you'd have permission for that.
1: Uh, next up is Joseph in Knoxville, Tennessee, watching us on YouTube. Joseph, you're on with Father Brian Milady.
4: Thank you, uh, thank you, Father, and uh, thank you for what you all do. EWTN is uh, awesome. Just wanted to say that uh, I had a question. Uh, there's someone I know that has struggled with uh, drug addiction, and it, since it's, it's excuse me, since it's such a pandemic right now. Uh, not a pandemic, I guess, but an epidemic, I'm not sure the definition, since it's impacting our country so terribly, is there any Catholic uh, programs that the Church is ever going to create? And I only ask because I've looked at a few for this person that I know, and it's like five grand a week at St. Gregory's. So I just noticed it seems to be a huge need uh, just from my knowledge of it, it seems to be a diabolical type of struggle, too, where if they go to a secular rehab and they say, you know, eat this kind of nutrition or, you know, do this kind of exercise, I, I personally think that's not enough. It's not addressing the spiritual component or perhaps the sacrament of confession and uh, receiving the Eucharist. So I just wanted to ask, Father, if you know of any um, programs that the Church is going to uh, or that they have, like, I know Catholic Charities perhaps is associated, but I've yet to find an affordable uh, Catholic institution or um rehab program for those people.
2: Well, I don't really know. It's not, not in my world. Um, I would imagine there are some like that. It would be more like a 12-step thing where, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous where you go and get... Uh, Uh, um, support support group and trying to do that but as for a clinical situation uh, i'm not aware of any for lay people i am aware of some for the clergy which as you say they're very expensive though so uh i think that the best thing to do is to contact your local priest or your local chancery because they um have programs that they recommend. There are people usually work in the bureaucracy just for the purpose of uh, encouraging programs of that sort.
1: Uh, you know, there are the Chinakalo communities that are out there. I mean, I don't know how that's a radical that's a radical way to go about things, but, you know, I guess if you're in a dark enough place, you you probably need a radical solution,
2: huh? I, I, yes, I'm not familiar with that,
1: but... Yeah. Uh, But you may may do a Google search for Chinacolo, C-E-N-A-C-O-L-O, and it's uh, started by a a Latin American uh, religious, uh, and uh, it's really a a radical lifestyle change that's, uh, you know, something that maybe would be of benefit. Well, I think for
2: for all addictive behavior, you have to do that. But believe me, I live with lots, I've known a lot, I live with a number of alcoholic priests, (laughs) And it, it just never finally works for them. I don't know why not. but uh,
1: you know. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Hope is in Vero Beach, Florida. She's also listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hope, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Milady. Okay,
5: thank you very much for having my, taking my call. And Father, my question to you is, um, if you... Uh, I I pray a lot. I, I like to pray. But every once in a while, I'll get these strange feelings and thoughts that'll come into my mind that have nothing to do with the prayer, and I literally have to pull myself out of those thoughts to continue praying. And I find that it happens more when I want to be really spiritual. If, if I'm praying for something very hard, and then all of a sudden... It'll pop into my mind while I'm saying the rosary. I wonder how pretty Mary was. And I wonder if she had this stuff. And then I'll think to myself, what are you doing? And I don't know if I'm praying incorrectly or if I'm not thinking right. strongly enough about the spiritual part, but it drives me crazy.
2: All right. Uh, I'll say several things about this. First of all, um, many spiritual authors will say, you may as well try to stop the sun from rising, than from images coming into your head. Even while you're at prayer, it often unless you've put those images into your head by something you did before you were praying, or you're purposely distracting yourself, uh, it's it's just normal and natural. And your images are innocuous compared to some people and what they have come into their brains. Uh, remember images of the free association of uh, sensual experiences, and we could even gain them from books or things like that that we've never actually experienced. That's part of the problem of being a human being as opposed to being an animal. We can compose and combine um, uh, images, uh, like if you compose uh, uh, a rabbit and a Brooklyn attitude. Uh, you get Bugs Bunny. Well, Bugs Bunny doesn't exist. And yet there are people who talk about Bugs Bunny as though he did exist. Because you can compose and divide these impressions and come up with things that really are mythical. The classic example of Greek ideas is the wings of a bird and the body of a horse to create Pegasus. Again, Pegasus doesn't exist, but we can react to him as though he were something real. So you can't keep images in and out of your mind. Now, if you put them there, then there will be something wrong with your prayer. I remember one time I heard of a convent in the 30s, a long time ago now. But it was before the sisters could drive. But they used to go down to the school every day, and they had to take a taxi. So there was a young novice who was very free spirit and the one of the pillars of the community. And the young novice used to jump into the taxi and say, good morning. Well, they had grand silence until they got to school, a rule. So this, one day, the old nun who was reading the newspaper, it flicked and she said, you're supposed to be keeping silence in this car. So the novice said, I looked at her and I said, when I entered the comment, there was a sign over the door. And it said, the practice of silence is the practice of the presence of God. Now, it seems to me that a person who wishes a cheery good morning to her neighbor, even though she may be materially breaking silence, is much more practicing the presence of God than someone who's keeping it reading the gossip column. (laughs) Of course, it went all the way to the priest confessor. (laughs) This is a dispute. And the novice, the question said to me many years later, he killed him to admit it, but he had to admit I had a point. (laughs) No, if you don't put the images into your brain yourself like something you do, there's nothing defective about your prayer. Uh, Many people, distractions are normal and natural. The question is what you do with them. Once you become aware that you're distracted, then you have to try to refocus your attention. It's one of the reasons why Teresa of Avila always used to bring a book to meditation. She didn't read it like we would read a textbook where we had to get through to the end or a novel. But when she got distracted, she'd look in the book, it could be scripture or something like that, and find something, a phrase, that would strike her attention, basically to refocus her attention. So don't worry about distractions, even images that seem strange to you. You just can't stop them happening by your will.
1: Very good. And um, very quickly, just a couple seconds left here, but Steve in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, wanted to know what you could tell him about James the Greater and how did he get to
2: Spain? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, you, if you, I bet if you look it up on Wikipedia, you could find an explanation.
1: Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Father Brian, we've uh, flown through another hour
2: here on Open Line Thursday. Would you be so gracious as to leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.
1: Wendy in Wyoming says that she has a daughter in a Chinacolo community, and she feels so welcome down there, good. and it's a beautiful community, and she can't say enough good things about it. So there's good. Good. endorsement for Chinacolo from Wendy in Wyoming. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Mullady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless.